Neil Armstrong used to go around telling people really unfunny jokes about the moon, and when they wouldn't laugh, he would say, well, I guess you had to have been there. That's not true. That's just a joke. But, you know, you get it because Neil Armstrong was on the moon. No one else was on the moon. I guess Buzz Aldrin was on the moon. But anyways, the point is, when people, you know, they say, I guess you had to have been there. Okay, so apropos to I guess you had to have been there, uh, the Mishnah in Sukkah says, about the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, that is the special festival of the water drawing that used to happen in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple, in the Holy City of Yerushalayim. Mi shaloi Simchas Beis HaShoeva. Somebody who never beheld, who never experienced the festival of the water drawing, loiro Simcha Miyamov, has never seen joy in all of his days. In other words, whatever joy you have seen, if you haven't been present, and for the past 2,000 years, indeed, nobody has been present because it hasn't existed since the temple was destroyed. But if you haven't been present for the festival of the water drawing that used to take place in the Holy Temple, you've never seen joy because the joy in that, on that occasion was so exceptional. So let's talk a little bit about technically what it was historically, and, and also let's try to understand a little bit about the unique joy that makes it such an unparalleled and uh, incomparable joy. Technically speaking, um, we'll make it very, very brief. In the Beis HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple, there were carbonic sacrificial offerings, which were animal offerings by and large. Uh, there were also meal offerings made from flour. Uh, and then accompanying these offerings were various libations. Libations means drink offerings. They would pour wine. They were made from wine. Now, on Sukkot, on the festival of Sukkot, there was a special thing called Nisach HaMayim, which was the water libation. Instead of pouring only wine on the altar, in addition to the wine, they would also pour water on the altar. And when they would draw the water for, the, for that purpose, they would draw it from a spring in Yerushalayim, near the, near the Holy Temple, and that drawing of the water was celebrated with an all-night festival of singing and dancing. And uh, they used to have these torches up in the air, built up on, on, on la, a, a very long, very tall uh, like uh, poles, and uh, they would burn oil oil burning torches and they would light up the whole city so it would be like daylight all night by the way just parenthetically when i when i whenever i learned this i think about growing up in chicago they used to have the uh you know wrigley field the friendly confines right so there was this big there was a strong movement no lights in wrigley field i think this was back in the 80s when i was a kid and there was a, a very strong push no lights in wrigley field because they didn't want night games in wrigley field because the lights from a baseball stadium are very, very bright, right? They make it like, like it's daylight. So Lahavdil, I guess, if you could picture lights from a stadium, lights that make it like, you know, like a baseball field where it looks like it's daytime, even though it's the middle of the night. Lahavdil, that's what it would be like in Yerushalayim in the times of Simchas Beis HaShoeva, these massively bright torches uh, of oil burning uh, flames up in the air, just making it as bright as day. Now, interestingly, we're told in the, in the Mishnah what these torches were made of. They burned oil, but the, the wicks, the giant wicks, were made from the used up or discarded bigday kahuna, the clothing that the kahanim, that the priests wore in the base of Mignesh, in the Holy Temple. Um, but specifically, you know, there were four 
articles of clothing that the Kohanim would wear. There was the hat, which is called migbas, and the ksoinus, which is like a shirt or a tunic. Uh, the avnate, which is the belt. And then there's the michnasayim, which are like uh, shorts. They go, uh, they're like an, an undergarment under the, the shirt. They're, they're worn on the legs. So the wicks for these uh, lamps were specifically made from two out of those four garments, from the michnasayim and from the, uh, the avnate, the shorts and, and the belt. That's what the Mishnah says. Um, and it's interesting because there's another Mishnah in, uh, in Shabbos, a Gemara in Shabbos, that discusses the wicks for the Menorah, and there it says it was just made generally from any of the old uh, discarded clothing of the, of the Kehanim, uh, any of the four garments. But when it came to the torches for Simchas Beis HaShoeva, then it was specifically the shorts and the belts. And, and that's what we want to understand. I know it sounds like a very technical question, but what's up with that? Why were the wicks of these giant, massive uh, oil torches made specifically from these two articles of clothing, the, the, the belts and the shorts of the, uh, of the uh, Big Day Kohuna? And uh, in order to understand this, I want to share with you a story. The story is about someone that the Gemara says is one of the greatest Balei Chova of our time, meaning the time contemporary or contemporaneous to, uh, to the Gemara. Now, interestingly, the Gemara doesn't say his story. It just says uh, that he was a great Baal Chova, a great penitent. And his name is Nosin Tzutzisa. But it doesn't say what he does, what he did. Interestingly, there's a Hasidic work from the son of the Balatanya, the, the Mitle Rebbe, called Derech Chaim, which is uh, all about Teshuva. And there, the Mitle Rebbe mentions, that, that also mentions this Nosin Tzutzisa. In fact, he mentions him in the same line with another famous Baal Tshuva, Rabbi Lazar ben Dedoya, a famous story from the Gemara in Aveda Zara. So the Mitla Rebbe there says, you know, the great penitents like Rabbi Lazar ben Dedoya and like Rabbi Nosin Tzutzisa. But again, he doesn't say what he did. Where does it say what Rabbi Nosin Tzutzisa did to be considered one of the great Baal Tshuva? So there's a, there's a safer called Sefer Oisei Fele, uh, a, a book of stories. And there it tells the, the tale. It says that once, and, and before I begin to tell the story, I'm just going to say like this. Generally speaking, I, I try to make sure that everything that I teach should be for all audiences. And I, and I believe that this is for all audiences. However, I'm telling you before I begin, obviously I'm going to speak you know, sensitively, and I'm going to speak uh, as cleanly as possible. But if you have uh, any reason why you'd be, uh, you or someone else who's watching, if you feel that you, uh, if you're unsure, you want to hear material that you, you, you're afraid might be a little bit uh, risque or over the line, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm warning you now. But what I'm about to tell you, the, this is not something, uh, you know, God forbid, this is not from non-Jewish sources. This is from our, from Chazal. Okay, but uh, I am, I'm, this is something that's a little bit more earthy, uh, 
a little bit more frank about the human condition and about some of, some of the struggles that, that people have. So, so with, that, with that warning. It says that Rabbi Akiva once was walking with his Talmidim and he saw someone ride by on a horse. Rabbi Akiva asked the Talmidim, who is that riding by on the horse? So the Talmidim said, that guy. He's called, uh, and th this is what the Sefer Aisefala says, the Talmidim told Rabbi Akiva that that guy's called Nasan Reya Zainais. You can translate it on your own. But in very euphemistic terms in, in, in America in, in 2020, you might say, um, you know, Nasan the womanizer. Okay? I don't think that's such an off-color term. Um, I mean, it's an off-color thing to be, but the term is not such a terrible term. Okay? Like I said, I'm trying to be as uh, self-censored as possible. Uh, needless to say, he didn't earn that nickname or that title by living a very scrupulous life. He, um, he was an immoral person. He was known for it. But Rabbi Kivo said to the, to the students, I see a halo. I see a, a glow emitting from his head. Tell him to come speak to me. I want to, I want to meet him. So a meeting was arranged, and Rabbi Akiva said to this Nosen Tsutsiso, Why are you glowing? See, they called him Nosen Reya Zoinis. Rabbi Akiva called him Nosen Tsutsiso. Tsutsiso means the one who's emanating a glow. He says, you know, he tried to play it, uh, you know, low, uh, low key. He says, oh, I don't know. Rabbi Kiv said, please, you have to tell me. I see that you're special. What did you do special? So Rabbi Nassim says, okay, I'll tell you. And he tells Rabbi Kiva his story. The story is that Rabbi Nassim had a very, very strong Yitzhahara, and particularly in a particular area, as you all understand what I'm saying here. And he always indulged in that area. He never didn't indulge. And it came one particular time where he became obsessed with one particular woman, a woman named Hannah, who was a married woman. And he became obsessed. He decided that he has to have this woman, Hannah. And uh, he became sick. He became deathly ill. And the doctors said that the only way to revive him is if he indulges his lust. So obviously the, the Rabbanim, the, the rabbis, said no, Nothing doing, but um, so this uh, Reb Nossin, he was languishing away. And uh, in the meantime, this, uh, this Hana, her husband was very poor, and he was thrown in debtor's prison, which in those days was something like a dungeon. In fact, they didn't even feed the prisoners. She would spin wool, and then she would sell the wool, and with the money she made, she would buy bread and bring it to the prison because if she wouldn't bring the, the bread to the prison, then her husband would starve to death in prison. She would do this every single day. She was a very loyal wife. And one day, her husband couldn't take it anymore. And he said to her, look, this Nussin is a very, very wealthy man. Go to him and ask him for a loan to pay off my debt so I can get out of prison. So this Hannah, she was a very virtuous woman. 
And she was taken aback. She said to her husband, how can you send me to this man? Don't you know that he is languishing away because he's obsessed with me? Now I should go and ask him for a loan. And she was very upset with her husband even suggesting such a thing. And she stormed off and she didn't visit him for a few days. But after a few days, she forgave him. She came back. She brought him food. And uh, he said it again. He said, I'm going to die in here. You have to get me out of here. Go to Reb Nossin. He's a rich man. Ask him for a loan to pay off my debt and release me. And, 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 and again, she was very upset, but he, he begged her. So uh, she davened. She davened to Hashem. She's going to go to this Nossin and she's going to ask for the loan. And she davened. She asked Hashem, please protect me that nothing should happen through me or to me that would be sinful. So she goes to this Nossin and she says, I need money for my husband. He says, how much? Whatever you want. She named the number, whatever they owed. He told the, the attendants in his house, give her the money right away. They gave her the money. And he says to her, now I gave you what you want. Give me what I want. And she says to him, look, as you know, you're powerful and I, am, I have no power here in this, this situation. And I can't stop you from doing whatever you want. But I just want to tell you one thing. You have a choice right now. You have a choice between doing something that will give you reward for eternity or something that will have a payoff for a moment. So you can choose right now between something that's everlasting and something that is gone in a moment. And for some reason, whatever it was, this Nossin who had indulged his lusts all of his days, all of his life, these words of this woman Chana, this virtuous woman Chana, somehow that, that clicked for him. And he, was, he realized how pitiful his situation was, how lowly his situation was. And at that moment, he cried out and he begged Hashem for mercy. And he said, Hashem, please help me to do teshuva. And his cries clearly were heard from on high. And not only did he resist his uh, temptation for this particular woman, but at that moment, he became transformed. And he walked away from his previous life of immorality. And this is the story that he told Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva heard the story. He says, now it makes perfect sense to me why you have a halo, why you're glowing. <sighs> That's the story. You know... There are certain topics that, I've, I mean, I, I, I was saying before, I'm trying to be careful how I talk about this. And, and there's a reason for that because, you know, not only is it something that polite people don't speak about these things explicitly, but th th there's, there's another reason for it. Spiritually, there are different approaches how to deal with these uh, temptations, with this side of human nature. But the approach... I will say this, that the particular approach, my tradition, what I've been handed down, my Masada, is that we focus on oil, we focus on light, we focus on positivity, on asay toif. And uh, if you focus on that, then it takes care of the sumira, it takes care of the negativity. And so we, we, we don't give a lot of thought or focus or attention to talk of, talking about these things. Not because it's shameful and therefore it's a secret and we're pretending it doesn't exist. Of course it exists. Since the Chet Eitz Adas, it exists. 
since the Chetet Das and 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 Adam and Chava gained self-consciousness, which means when they gained Das, what did it mean? It meant, means that they became aware of themselves in a particular way, which they became ashamed of their nakedness. They became self-conscious in a particular way. Everyone understands what I mean by that. They identified a certain desire within themselves. Ever since that day, that has become part of the human condition. So it's not like this shameful secret thing that we pretend doesn't exist and we're what you know we're sweeping it under the carpet. We know that it exists and we know that everyone grapples with it, and that's why Anyem Kippur, the Kriya, is about the Arois. Why why is Kriya Satoru? Why is the Torah reading on the holiest day of the year about forbidden illicit intimate relationships? Why? The Gemara says, because it's something that people struggle with whether in actuality or whether, you know, in thought. But the point is, it's a struggle. Of course, it's a, that's the human condition. So it's not that we don't, we don't think it exists. We know it exists, but, you know, we try to focus on positive. At the same time, something has to be acknowledged. That if somebody was nichshel chas and they have a relationship to these things, and even if they've fallen very low and they have a deep relationship with these things, they should know that not only does teshuva work and they can come back from it, but when they do come back from it, the potential to return is limitless to the extent that someone who fell as low as Nosin Reya Zainis can become Nosin Reb, Nosin Tsutsisa, Nosin with the halo, with the angelic glow. Now, maybe only a Rebbe Akiva can see it. Okay, maybe... The Tal- even the Talmidim of Rebbe Akiva apparently didn't see it because they called him by his old name. But a Rebbe Akiva can see it. And he didn't see a, a pervert, a disgusting person, a lowlife, a reject. He didn't even see somebody who had, oh, you know, he's okay now, but, you know, don't get too close to him because you, you know what he used to be involved in. No, when Rebbe Akiva saw Reb Nassim, he saw someone with an angelic glow. Because Teshuvah has that power. And as low as he fell, that's how high he rose after he did Teshuvah. And this is what Shleim Melech refers to, King Solomon, the wisest of all men, when he says that there's a Yisina Oyrmen Achayshech, an advantage of light that comes from darkness. Not just the advantage when you compare light to darkness, but the advantage that comes from light that was transformed out of darkness. When your lowest spiritual failures become transformed, because you don't want to be cut off from Hashem anymore, and now your failings become the impetus to become all the more sensitive and vigilant, then, then there's a transformation. So, let's go back to our original question about the Simchas Beis HaShoeva. Why specifically these two garments, the belt and the shorts, the Avnet and Michnesayim, very interesting what these garments correspond to, what they symbolize. The, the Gemara in Zvochem, Peichesom and Beis, tells us that the Mechnesayim are supposed to be Mechaper and Arois. They atone for transgressions of an intimate nature. And where do we see that from, the Gemara says? Because the Pasuk itself, the verse in Torah that tells us about this article, article of clothing, says that it goes on the flesh of one's nakedness, of the erva. So the Mechnesayim come to atone for this particular struggle. Those are the shorts that go on that part of the body. So to the avnit, the belt. The belt also is connected to this idea. In fact, in Shulchan Aruch, 
when it talks about, in, in the Code of Jewish Law, the idea of putting on a belt in order to daven, one of the ideas is that it separates the heart from the erva. There's a concept there of separating those two parts of, of the body, the heart from the, from the reproductive organs, when one davens. So the belt is very much connected also to this idea of taming, mastering, having, having control over those passions. So it's those two particular garments, Michnesayim and the Avnet, which correspond to those two parts of our body and our human nature and, 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 and our challenges. Why were, they, why were they used as wicks to light up the whole Yudashalayim on Sukkot? Because Sukkot is a continuation of and a revelation of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Tiku b'chaydi sheifer b'keser liyem chagenu. Kesa means covering. That means that on Rosh Hashanah the moon is covered because it's the new moon. But it also means that the spiritual energy is hidden. That's why it's Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are solemn days, very serious days. But whatever happens to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in a serious way, in a concealed way, comes out into revelation in a happy way on Sukkot, Shemini Yetzeres, and Simchas Torah. That's what means the Yem Chagenu, the Chag. Chag means Chag Sukkot. So basically, the atonement that we experienced on Yom Kippur in a serious way becomes revealed on Sukkot. What are we saying? We're saying that if somebody needed Yom Kippur to come and clean the slate because he has struggles in that particular area of life that corresponds to the Mechnesayim and the Avnet, and everyone has struggles in this area, whether it's in Machshava, Dibur, or Maise, whether it's Hirhurim, whether it's, it, it's where you look, Everyone struggles on some level. We don't have to go explicitly. Again, like I said, and it's not because we're sweeping it under the carpet pretending it doesn't exist. It's because we, we don't focus on it because we don't want to feed it. At the same time, we, we admit that yes, this is a universal struggle. So those who experienced a cleansing on Yom Kippur in the area that corresponds in our life to the belt and the shorts which is all of us, let's be frank. On Sukkot, on Sukkot, we can celebrate that cleansing, specifically in that area of our lives. And those articles of clothing are then turned into the torches that burn and light up the entire Yerushalayim so that the night is bright like day. Very poetic, stirring symbolism. That the very thing, the very part of my, my, my life, of my spiritual struggle, that I felt was the most shameful, the lowest part, is now fuel for the fire to make lamps that light up the holy city of Yerushalayim so that night shines like day. Very, very poetic. And what did they sing, by the way? What did they sing at the Simchas Beis HaShoeva? Gemara tells us. Elu ve'elu emrim. These and these would say, Happy is he who never sinned. It's, it's much better never to sin. Of course, that's plan A. However, 
But if he did sin, Yashuv, 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 do tshuva. And he will be forgiven. That is the joy of Simchas Beis HaShuayva. That's what it means. If you never saw the joy of Simchas Beis HaShuayva, you never saw joy. If you never saw the transformation of the struggle with these this particular part of human nature, this deep, dark, dark struggle that goes all the way back to the Chetet Zadas, to the original sin of Adam and Chava. If you never saw the joy of someone who was able to climb out of that and transform that, you never saw joy. If you never saw how someone like Nosen Reyes could become Nosen Tzutzisa with the halo who Rabbi Akiva sees is shining like, uh, like an angel, you never saw joy. If you never saw an addict in recovery, you never saw joy. If you never saw, it doesn't have to be an extreme case, if you never saw somebody who was nichshal, chas v'shalom, but yashuv yashuv and he not only put it in his past, but having that negative experience that, that's behind him now becomes this impetus to push him higher, to higher levels of sensitivity. That's a fuel for a flame that can light up the night like day. So it's nothing to hide from. It's nothing to pretend doesn't exist. To the contrary, this is the greatest spiritual attainment. This transformation of the avnet and michnasayim and everything they represent, when they become the fuel, to make night shine like day. Oh, oh, oh.